0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ladies and gentlemen, record geeks, retired plate spinners,
1: and millennials who want to impress their parents with their record collections, welcome to the Rhino Cast podcast, brought to you by Rhino Records. Get ready for new releases, deep tracks, and conversations with your favorite artists and bands. And Balloons for the Kitties. And now, your hosts with the most, Rich Mahan and Dennis the Menace.
2: Coming up on this RhinoCast, our special guest Jose Maldonado of Sweet and Tender Hooligans joins Dennis for a deep dive into The Queen is Dead, widely considered to be both the Smith's finest work and one of the greatest albums ever made.
3: It's time to open up the cemetery gates and start the proceedings.
1: Smash every tooth in your head Oh, sweetness, sweetness I was only joking when I said by rights You should be bludgeoned in your bed And now I know how love our We're on the nose and I walk Men starting to, to melt
2: On this episode's RhinoCast, our special guest, Jose Maldonado, of the respected Smith's Tribute band Sweet and Tender Hooligans, is going to take us through the palace gates. We'll get the inside story of the making of the Smith's The Queen is Dead, and he'll share the newly remastered and
3: expanded tracks. Morrissey said, You cannot continue to record and simply hope that your audience will approve, or that average critics will approve, or that radio will approve. You progress only when you wonder if an abnormally scientific genius would approve, and this is the leap the Smiths took with The Queen is Dead.
2: And guitarist Johnny Marr added, The Queen is Dead was epic to make and epic to live. Words to live by and a podcast I can't wait to hear. To that end, Dennis, let's cut to your conversation with Jose Maldonado at Rhino HQ about the
0: Smiths' The
2: Queen is Dead.
0: Would you introduce yourself, please? I'm Jose Maldonado, lead singer of the tribute band Sweet and Tender Hooligans, where the Morrissey-Smiths tribute band people have referred to me before as the Mexican Morrissey. And I'm fine with that.
3: (laughs) But let's go back in time. Jose was a young child. Yes. What did Jose listen to way before the Smiths?
0: I grew up not uh, two miles from here in Burbank, California, actually. And I'm wearing my Burbank High School class ring Just because I do every time I'm in Burbank. My parents were both born and raised in Mexico. I grew up on a lot of Julio Iglesias and Pedro Infante and uh, Camilo Sesto. Easy for you to say. (laughs) (laughs) So I grew up on a lot of that when I discovered radio. You know, everyone talks about their little transistor radio with the nine-volt battery. You know, that that was me. I, I was definitely that kid. You know, people have said it before. It was like having a a secret friend that would would play the songs for you, and you'd listen. Radio Radio enters into my consciousness late '70s, early '80s. In wow. fact, in fact, Devo was my very first favorite band of all time. Devo so,
3: on the transistor radio. Yes,
0: The album Freedom of Choice was the first record I had bought with my own money, 11 years old. It was at a department store and I looked at this really cool record with what I thought were five really cool guys in these smart uniforms. Weird, really cool. Yes, yeah, right. They, I, I guess in a sense they still are my favorite band of all time.
3: Right at that moment in time you discovered Devo, mm-hmm. let's tell me a few others that got into your head early on.
0: Well, I I was very fortunate uh to grow up at a time that I did because of K-Rock. For a great deal of my childhood, they were right across the street from us, actually, in the old Union Bank building. So if there was ever a band or an artist, you know, that was going to be in the studio doing Loveline or anything like that, I'd just hop on my bike right over there and have them autograph a record, you know, anything that I could. So I was really fortunate. I grew up with K-Rock when they were in Pasadena and then when they moved to Burbank. Growing up with bands like Duran Duran, The Cure, Depeche Mode, The Pet Shop Boys... The Smiths, of course. And Richard Blade is the reason that my band got our very first gig. He's one of the most generous and kind, successful people I've ever known. And I just one day asked, Hey, I know that you're hosting this Morrissey fan convention thing. Do you think you could have my band play? It took one phone call and he got us on that bill.
3: When did you become obsessed with the Smiths? And and did you become obsessed with the Smiths? What what was the trajectory? From Devo and all of this new wavy stuff Mm -hmm. to The Smiths, because I don't look at The Smiths as part of that particular
0: wave. Not at all. Not at all. In fact, even their name, The Smiths, was a statement against, not against, but with bands at the time that had names like Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark and Spandau Ballet and, you know, they were just, how about we just be ordinary and just call ourselves The Smiths? You know, even their name was that. But that seminal moment for me happens to be The Queen Is Dead, which is the album that we are talking about. I was in a record store, and over the speakers, they had played a track called Cemetery Gates. I just sat there kind of amazed at this unique voice of this unique singer and these unique lyrics with an amazing guitar underneath. And right after that, Big Mouth strikes again. And then right after that, the boy with a thorn in his side and that was the moment. That was the moment that I had to know who this band was and what other records did they have. And my life was changed ever since. I'm lucky. I had a great radio station that would play these bands. But I can't imagine somebody growing up in Wichita, Kansas, stumbling upon the Smiths, you know. So it's, it's a big deal when you think about how bands like the Smiths broke in America. A nation of this size that they could reach out to kids that just said, one kid said to another, hey, listen to this record, it's great, and passed it on.
3: You hear The Queen is Dead. Mm -hmm. What goes through your mind other than, well, I'm not going to lead you. I was going to talk about the obvious things, but I'm not going to lead you. What was going through your mind?
0: I heard this very unique voice, this unique singer, who didn't sound like anyone I had ever heard before. And the lyrics were like nothing I had ever heard before. The guitar, the bass, and the drums on top of that just made a beautiful combination.
3: What we're here to talk about is what you've got right next to you. Mm-hmm. This is remastered and expanded, but expanded would be the understatement of the year. Yeah. For anybody that is obsessed with the Smiths, <laughs> or, or opposite end of the spectrum, a 16-year-old in a world of streaming mm-hmm. who wants to really discover this band and put their mitts on it and really feel what this is all about... What you're holding in your hand is going to really give them a discovery very different than we had.
0: Most definitely. And if anyone is uninitiated, I always look to what's that good entry-level, you know, album? What's that good entry-level song? You'd be hard-pressed to do much better than The Queen is Dead. I think it's a great entry-level into you want to know what they sound like? This is what they sound like. This is The Queen is Dead.
3: The greatest album ever made. Admittedly, a
0: bold statement. It's pretty damn good. It's pretty damn good from, uh, from start to finish. In the album era, there was a very thoughtful process into what song is going to follow what song and what song is going to follow. And even what song was going to be the first song on the second side. You know, there was a very distinct process to what they were going to do. That's kind of lost. Not even in the, in the streaming era. It was lost in the CD era because you didn't have two sides. You just had, you know, track one to track nine or track ten, you know, one after the other. Certainly, The Queen is Dead. It is one of those albums where each song is followed by another, is followed by another, and it just is the correct order.
3: (laughs) There are so many standout tracks. You've talked about Cemetery Gates. Mm -hmm. But what track, you know, do you think you'll be blown away or have been blown away when you hear it like
0: this? Well, you know, the most popular song that we as a tribute band cover is There is a Light That Never Goes Out. It's hard to do much better than that. Going back to the idea of this is a good entry-level album, that's a good entry-level song. I'm know? so
3: glad you went there. I'm yeah. going to do something, and I'm going to ask you to follow it up in your voice. You ready? Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun.
1: Take me out tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. How,
3: how amazing that that something starts out with that short, a little intro, and then... That kind of statement. It's like he's telling you from the moment one what you're
0: going to do. He's in control. And they're often accused of being, oh, they're so depressing. There is a light that never goes out is actually about being so happy that to die by your side. You know,
3: every
1: every time I'm hit by a car, and
3: I have been been once, for real, (laughs) as you're being driven away in the ambulance, I guess that's the song you should be singing because... You Know if, if you're gonna die, at least you're dying by your lover's side. Yeah,
0: it's, it's, it's heavenly, it really is, and it it's, is. it's no surprise that it's uh, that it's beloved.
1: Take me out tonight, where there's music and there's people and the young and the
3: Take another track and go really deep. Tell me something that I don't
0: know. Some girls are bigger than others, which is the closing track. My understanding was when Johnny Morris showed the, the demo to Morrissey, oftentimes Morrissey would listen to it and hum along certain lyrics that were just placeholders. So he might have just chosen random words that kind of sounded nice together. And eventually the song would be a completely different song. But with Some Girls Are Bigger Than Others, my understanding was Johnny thought that Some Girls Are Bigger Than Others was just a placeholder. And then as it turns out, you know, the the eventual lyrics are Some Girls Are Bigger Than Others. Here was this very intricate guitar arrangement that Johnny had come up with. And Morrissey just decided, well, we're going to talk about how Anthony and Cleopatra opened a crate of ale. And then he said Some Girls Are Bigger Than Others.
3: And back to There's a Light That Never Goes Out. There's take one on here. Yeah, yeah. And it's different.
0: Slightly different with, uh, with even a different uh, chorus at the end. Yeah. When CD came into, came into existence and came into my consciousness, I remember thinking, well, I'm never going to pick up a vinyl record ever again. This is a hassle. This is, I can't take it anywhere with me. So with this resurgence of vinyl, I'm so surprised and I'm pleasantly surprised at how many kids are into it because there is something tangible, because there is the artwork, there is the liner notes, and I like the fact that they're doing that now.
3: Are, so. you, are you listening, kids? <laughs> Tell me at least one story about the making of the record that you probably know and no one else does.
0: The inner gatefold picture, in the reissue it's different, but the original issue had a picture of the four of them in front of a building called the Salford Lads Club in Manchester. That building kind of like a boys and girls club that we have here in, in America. But uh, the Salford Lads Club, they posed in front of that building. I'm not sure it's, it's lost whose idea it was to pose in front of that. They wanted something Manchester and to pose in front of that. After that album you know, was released, that building became the mecca for Smiths fans throughout the world to get their picture taken in front of. Just like the way the Beatles have Abbey Road, the Smiths have the Salford Lads Club. And since then... That Lads Club has now opened up their doors. They have one special room dedicated to the Smiths where people can leave messages or, or post their pictures up and paste them up on the wall. And they've got a gift shop and, uh, you know, mugs. They say the Salford Lads Club, the Queen is dead on it. Yeah. Hearing all the demos, the B-sides, yeah.
3: and in and, and particularly the Live in Boston album.
0: The Live in Boston is worth the price of admission right there. Yeah, the the live in Boston is completely just an amazing, amazing live recording in their time. The opening track of How Soon Is Now, I always understood that that was a tough one to do because Johnny had his part, you know, that rhythm part. They needed an extra guitarist, so they enlisted Craig Gannon for that tour so that they were able to have somebody do the rhythm part and then have another person with the into that. With the track What She Said, they always played the intro to the song Rubber Ring. And then at the end of What She Said, they played the outro to Rubber Ring. It's terrific. And Morrissey's voice on I Know It's Over really speaks to that moment that we've all, when we've all been there, in that moment of when you know that it's over. And that you could feel the soil falling on your head and... It's the end.
3: Boy, have you just painted a picture for us. What year was that show?
0: This would have been right touring the the album, 1986. They didn't realize at the time that this would be their final tour as a band. It's it's crazy to think because they didn't anticipate that they were going to be breaking up the year after that. After a very successful album, they would record Strange Ways, Here We Come. And before Strange Ways even hit the shelves, they had already broken up. Kind of sad to think that, uh, that that's how it you know, how it ended, how it ended. Yeah. The DVD that comes with it. Yeah.
3: Has yeah. this high res stereo version. Mm-hmm. What are some things? Let's get geeky. What are okay. some things that you've heard on that format that you that you go? Wow.
0: Oh, well, the Smiths had resisted doing music videos. They didn't really want to do that. So it kind of fell on someone just to say, well, fine, if you're not going to do a video. We're going to do a video. Derek, <laughs> so Derek, so Derek, Derek Jarman.
3: Jarman yeah, yes, and, decided. and but we should tell people that these are not music videos. Right. They're more. I wrote down experimental pieces. Yeah, I
0: think so. Yeah.
3: There's uh, some quotes and some things that Morrissey has said about this record.
0: Well, it was a, it was it was a statement against the monarchy. You know, just the title track and the title of the album alone. It was a very controversial thing to say. In a way, the Sex Pistols had did it prior with God Save the Queen. You know, this was the Smiths saying the monarchy, the, the concept of a monarchy is dead.
3: This is 32 years old, and the Smiths were beyond fresh when they entered the picture. And 32 years later, whether you're listening to it again or discovering it for the first time... Tell me about your opinion of the validity of this record in today's world.
0: It is timeless. It is 100% timeless. The album The Queen is Dead is 99.999999% perfect. In its track order, in its production value, in its lyrics, in their musicianship at the time. Remember, this is their third studio album at their time, so now they've had the time to improve each in their own instrument And Morrissey, with his lyrics being as strong and as vibrant as ever. It is a perfect album.
3: You've lived this record more than most human beings Mm. other than the band. (laughs) What do you think today's artists, today's bands, Mm -hmm. today's crop could learn from this record?
0: They could learn about the idea of The concept of an album rather than individual songs that you buy $1.29 at a time, they could learn there is an idea with a collection of songs and a thought process as to which song is going to follow what and which is going to be your opening track, which is going to be your closing track. And I think today's bands, they could get an idea of what it's like to create an, an album, a classic album by listening to this.
3: Pick a little paragraph of lyrics from any song from this album and sing it for me, a cappella. And if they
1: don't believe me now, will they ever believe me? And if they don't believe me now, will they e- will they ever believe me?
3: Jose, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for
0: having me, Dennis. Yeah!
1: Howdy, buckaroos! Circle the wagons and sound the alarm. It's time for the Rhino Roundup. Hey there, it's Lauren
3: G
2: and John Hughes, and this is your Rhino Roundup.
0: Do you like metal?
2: I love metal. <laughs> How about <laughs> White Snake?
0: Oh, geez! Here I go again.
3: We've <laughs> we've got three from White Snake. We've got Whitesnake's classic 1987 album, Super Deluxe, for the 30th anniversary. It's a 4-CD DVD collection, including the original album, with newly remastered sound, unreleased live and studio recordings, classic music videos, concert footage, a 30-minute documentary,
0: and a new interview with David Coverdale.
3: That sounds cool. Yeah. The music also comes with a 60-page hardbound book that's filled with rare and unseen photos from the era and extended essay with new interviews from Coverdale
1: and a booklet of the album's lyrics in case you've ever wanted to sing well.
0: And going from White Snake to the other pole, as <laughs> Pet Shop Boys, the further listening series continues with Elysium, which was originally released in 2012. This new version wraps up demos, b-sides, and some remastered and remixed versions of songs that were on the original LP. And this was an album that was co-produced with Andrew Dawson, who was Kanye West's engineer on 808s and Heartbreaks and a record which Neil Tennant says he was mildly obsessed with at the time. So the further listening series continues with Elysium. And that's your Rhino Roundup.
3: Well, Rich, we're
2: almost out of time. do we have a little bit of time left? We have just enough time for the one important thing that we haven't mentioned yet. Folks, if you liked what you heard today and you want to learn more,
3: we recommend starting out at rhino.com. If you want to listen to the music again, go to your favorite streaming site. And if you want to buy it, well there's two other great ways. You can download it, and then our favorite way,
2: your local, local record, record retailer. retailer. Independent record stores. Please support. We love them. Bring your kids too, and make sure they just had a lot of chocolate so they can get chocolate all over everything. Yeah, <laughs> because chocolate cleans records really well, I hear. It does. And last but certainly not least, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss the next Rhino cast.
3: Part about the chocolate is not true.
2: Executive producers for Rhino, John Hughes and Lauren Goldberg. Produced for Rhino by Pop Colt and Rich Mahan Promotions,
1: all rights reserved. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. Like that car riding right your tail.